Watch Challenge. On each episode, we challenge ourselves to find and watch a film of a particular type and then report back the results to each other and you fine listeners. My name is Aaron Spears. And I'm Mike Went. And for this new season, we have gone to some listener suggestions. And this one comes from Amir. He suggested biopics, not documentaries. Oh, that kind of hurt because I'm a huge documentary biopic fan. <laughs> yes. But also like, holy crap, is this a huge huge topic uh within the narrative uh narrative film world as well yeah i mean i think in the history of film i mean what's the the most often uh made genre is probably the biopic uh you know just because so many of these films depict historical figures uh, especially oh, yeah. in the, the early days and you know even even now like you know they're they're you know, I think Elvis just came out. Then, yep. you know, I'm sure by the end of the year, Oscar season, there's going to be a couple, you know, that that grace our screens for sure. That is a perfect transition, Mike, because that was one of the things I looked up. Uh, I was going to bring up was like this category is just pure Oscar bait. Oh yeah, right. So I, I looked up some numbers. This comes from the Hollywood Reporter, so I'm trusting their reporting, but it's literally what they report on. So I think their numbers are probably pretty accurate. <laughs> there have been. Um, Oh, shit. 92, 93 Oscars, I think. It's in the 90s, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we just had the 94th, I want to say. 94th. Okay, so like yeah. 94 Oscars. There have been 96 Oscar wins for people playing <laughs> real people, which I know that may not all be biopics necessarily, but like they're playing you know real people. So like, holy crap, this might be the most awarded type of acting performance in Oscar history. Yeah, it's like when you, I, I don't know, when you come to that point of your career where you want to start getting that attention, <laughs> you're, yeah. it's like you're actively asking, you know, can I can I get these uh, <laughs> auditions or something? Because, you know, you want that you want that on your resume or something. <laughs> I bet you if we went back and looked at all 96 of those, there's a trend of former child actors who now want to be taken seriously as adult actors oh yeah i feel like agents would position this as like oh it's a good transition project they'll you know you do this now and everyone's gonna be like whoa and you know, you're a grown-up <laughs> and you're doing this this performance you've become that person um and actually even um not necessarily that she was a child actor transitioning here but the preview just came out for blonde the marilyn monroe oh yes movie, yes which i am eagerly awaiting um, absolutely so I, I really like andrew dominic and uh anna darmus looks spectacular and Stunning. that trailer itself is just so intense i was like man this is going to be a roller coaster yeah of an emotional movie and nc-17 as well which is like very yeah. rare for very very rare a, yeah a like rare for these days and and b the, the fact that netflix is putting it out there in you know streaming without probably i mean i'm sure they'll have some kind of parental advisory but sure. uh, that's i think this is like a historical thing in the making oh you mean just like for netflix itself as a Oh yeah, music. yeah. I don't, I don't oh, know if they've ever had a NC seventeen rated thing. So, um, we'll I, what was the one that was real big a year or two ago? The kidnap erotic thrill, three hundred sixty five days. Oh, I mean, they've oh, had yeah. some like kind of yeah. quote unquote risque kind of stuff. This is yeah. much more like big marquee title uh, for them. So, um, I'm glad they're using that rating. I think that rating should be used more often. But yeah, 
maybe we'll talk about that uh, in a future future challenge. No, there. Absolutely. <laughs> um, what um, what do you go for in a biopic? Do you go for uh, one of the first things I wrote down was like whole life biopic, or do you want like just a moment in time biopic? I I do like uh, um, you know sometimes the the whole life biopic usually means long run time. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not opposed to a, a long run time, right. but you know, as you and I are are getting older, and we have you know <laughs> we have more family obligations and life, you know, sometimes you know it, it's nice to have something maybe a little shorter. Uh, sure, <laughs> but uh, but I I do like you know over the it seems like over the last uh, two decades or so there have been a couple of these uh, biopics that have come out that do tend to focus on one on that, like uh time of this person's life. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I mean like Spielberg's Lincoln kind of comes to mind where it's uh, it could have easily been like you see young Abe, like on the, on the farm and, and it eventually yeah, yeah. goes, but it like, it kind of just, it starts, he's already president, you know, yep. he's dealing with, uh, the civil war, you know, yeah. you know, stuff like that. It, you know, I, I think those are, those are more often these days are, are just like a unique way to, to really honor the person that you're, you're making yeah. the film about and then just showing, you know, a different side that than than what you would expect. Or even I was uh, Lincoln's a great example. I was thinking immediately cause it's such a niche thing that uh, Pablo Lorraine has been doing. Oh, uh, yes. Land director when he did Spencer with Kristen yes. Stewart and Jackie with Natalie Portman. It's like a day or two. Like it's it's such a it's like a micro. <laughs> uh, yeah. Micro bio almost. But speaks to larger things that both of those real life individuals were. Um, like it speaks to the whole life, even though it's just captured this very, very, very thin little moment in time. Yeah. It, I, you know, um, and I know I'm kind of once again, uh, um putting the cart before the horse, but, uh, you know, cause we're obviously going to have our, our honorable mentions, but you know, something like a Spencer is interesting because then not only is, you know, you're getting that small moment of time, but then, you know, he willingly admitted that he took some creative liberties, um, you know, where maybe oh, not yeah. everything actually happened, but you can still count it as a biopic because it kind of nails the, uh, you know, her mannerisms and the essence, and, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I hadn't thought of that when I was going through my list of, and I was narrowing down my list of like, do I, I do you include the ones that have like extreme creative license involved to, uh, yeah. you know, the based on a true story versus inspired by a true story versus like kind of partly a real story. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Um, I forgot that's a whole other element uh, within this subgenre of film, too. People or audiences, they can really relate to real people, um, mm -hmm. you know, and like when you get to see maybe one of your favorite musicians or actors or or politicians or, or yeah. whatever depicted in a certain way, you know, it's, you know, you get excited for that. Or on the other side, you know, if you feel like you've done it, the filmmakers done an injustice to that, to that particular uh, famous person, you know, you know, you'll certainly hear the, you, oh, yeah, yeah. you'll see Matt the message Lash. boards and the, in, <laughs> in, you know, the, the YouTube videos about how it sucks or something like that. But, 
but you know, at least filmmakers do take chances and yeah, know, based on these on these real characters. It's the same pratfall of adapting a beloved bestseller, like you know, where the Claudette yes. thing is out right now, and it's like there's definitely some opinions on how it was adapted versus how it was in its original text, and absolutely all of that. There's also the other bullet point or the other question I wrote down before I started researching was like famous person biopic or like unknown person, mm. which didn't turn out to be too much of its own separate subgenre. I was thinking because um, I really liked the book and also really enjoyed the movie. Speaking of books to movies um, into the wild that uh, John yes. Krakmer wrote that uh, about Christopher McCandles, who was like not a famous person at all, but through Krakauer's, you know, narrative nonfiction work that he does made him like. I wouldn't say famous, but like, you know, more well-known uh, rather than just like this, you know, son, brother, you know, friend who, you know, went into the wilderness and all that. Um, so like that one is more unknown, but there really aren't as many examples I could find of like the unknown biopic like that. Yeah. Maybe like Wild with Reese Witherspoon or 127 sure. Hours, those kind of movies. Okay, now I'm just naming them off the top of yeah. my head. So <laughs> maybe there aren't much out there. I just missed them. <laughs> yeah, but no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, at least there's some kind of, with Into the Wild, you know, it, at least, uh, you know, you have that person's body of work, uh, you know, as far as uh, the novels go. But, right. but yeah, maybe not um, somebody in the cultural, you know, hugely in the cultural zeitgeist. But, you right, know, I, right. I think that movie, uh, that, that was one of my favorite movies of that year when it came out. Yes, yeah, um, Just because of the almost very spiritual nature of, of the movie. Uh, it, I think a lot of it is probably a tune that I'm like a, a huge Pearl Jam fan. So Eddie, oh, Vedder's, that helps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Eddie Vedder's music is so great in that, in that. Yeah. Film. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, you get an insight into somebody's life who was tragic, you know, tragic, spoiler alert, tragically cut short. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, when you get those kind of stories, I mean, a good story is a good story at the end of the day, even if they're not like super well. well known, right, right, right. And actually, I think, yeah, I may have one coming our way. I'll, I'll check with you and see. But um, yeah, what uh, what have you got for us, Mike? What is a couple honorable mentions before we get to our official picks here? Sure. Um, so I think uh, one of my favorite biopics is uh, a, a very just uniquely made film. And it is uh, from... Uh, director Paul Schrader, it's uh, a Mishima, A Life in Four uh, Chapters, uh, which is about um, Mishima, the uh, the author. Um, it's a uh, basically it is a biopic, but also honors the the author's uh, works by presenting these vignettes or um, mm-hmm. shorts within the biopic that uh, that really kind of perfectly encapsulate a lot of um his his writings um and it's sometimes shot in like very um beautiful black and white but then also these vivid colors and it's also all um accompanied by a very great um philip glass score oh Um, that's right and uh it's it's one of those films that uh i believe you know, it's a staple on like the Criterion channel or yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, and I, I've probably already said it on this podcast before, but you know, I, you know, being a location scout, sometimes I, I get to drive around high profile people and I got to drive around Paul Schrader a little bit when getting ready to make this, this movie dog eat dog. And when, um, 
one of the other filmmakers who was in the car asked Paul what his what his favorite movie of his own work uh, was, and right away he said this was his his favorite film. So oh, nice. it's okay. uh, it's a very like unique spin on the biopic. Um, so yeah. and it probably not maybe not for all tastes, but I um, <laughs> I, I I highly think it's it's a really well done movie. Speaking of not for all tastes, actually, Mike, I have one of my picks. I wrote down like my left field pick, but it's sure. definitely in that vibe of like not for all tastes. But I really find the movie fascinating. And it's also a very unique spin on the biopic as well, I think. It's called Lords of Chaos from uh, oh, Jonas, yes. Jonas uh, Ockerlund, uh, 2018. It's listed as a horror thriller film. Yeah. Uh, but it's about uh, the Norwegian black metal scene. So it's not yes. a biopic on one person, but it's a band, which is uh, Mayhem uh co-founder and it goes into like okay first of all it's gross like it's really (laughs) really like you just feel kind of gross watching it because it's it's almost to the point of parody a little bit but i don't feel like it goes fully into parody of what the the black metal scene was going what was going down there in norway and again it does have that problem that does bug me a little bit of why is it said in norway i mean they're all speaking English and they're mostly American actors. Like, I was like, just, just, you know, make it there, use the language, use the actors, whatever. So we do have a Culkin uh, offspring. Uh, yes, Rory Culkin yes. is in this one. I found it to be very intense. And I, it, it's one of those, like it scarred me watching it. Like it's, it has stuck with me. It is very visceral. It has probably the squirmiest, cringiest suicide scene I've ever <sighs> seen and will ever see. I hope in a movie, um, but it gets into this one upsmanship within the black metal scene in Norway in the uh, early nineties where like everybody was trying to be basically more metal than the next person, more, more death metal than the next person. Yeah. And it got into like, they were burning down churches um, that, you know, people were like the one guy, um, you know, commit suicide pretty early on. Um, there's murder. It's just this interesting look at a, at a subculture that did actually happen. And as you watch most of it, you're just like, good God, this, this happened. Varg Vikernes, I think the lead singer was the one who was so obsessed with death that he would keep a, a dead pigeon in a brown paper sacks and then he would like huff it before he went out on stage because he wanted to feel that close to death you know he wanted death in his lungs when he was i mean this this is what i mean like it's almost to the point of parody but it's not played up as parody and it comes from uh jonas i'm probably mispronouncing his name jonas ockerland um who's done a crap load of music videos and so it's interesting he he definitely has uh he's very connected to like the the power of music and the visuals that can go with music and i thought it was really like I said, a scarring film. And then I looked it up after I watched it. And I was like, oh, critics don't like this one too much. <laughs> oh, um, really? So like, I, it's out there, but yeah. I thought that one was kind of, well, I know like it wasn't released super wide right. or anything. For good reason. I thought, yeah, I thought, <laughs> I thought there was like kind of a critical volume. So that's interesting. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just yeah. looked it up. That was maybe the critics I was reading at the time. It's 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's okay, yeah, 38 on Metacritic. So. Oh, okay. Um, Which is probably more of a a better content can be divisive, yes, sort of thing there. But I, yeah, it's it's unusual in the way you said. Like it's you know not for everybody <laughs> with the Paul Schrader film. This is definitely also not for everybody. But um, I I thought if you're if you're interested in really pushing the boundaries of what you can show and depict on film, yeah, this is definitely one to give a spin to. Uh, yeah. What what else you got, Mike? For for other um, I think a, another one. You know, I think probably the off often. Um, you know, especially in the in the last 30, 40 years, you know, you get the music biopic. So 
Um, yep. I went with um, with uh, Milos Forman's uh, Amadeus, uh, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I mean, uh, not only is it, I think, one of the great films of the last, uh, you know, 40 years, but, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, but it's it's also you know kind of a unique spin of the biopic because it's told from the point of view of Moliere, who is uh, who was somebody who basically was envious of of Mozart, uh, mm-hmm. kind of putting out these great works, but also kind of being a childish asshole. <laughs> I think it's the best way to <laughs> a little petty, to yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but. Uh, I, uh, I, I've always kind of just thought that the movie was, uh, you know, even though it is, it's a lengthy film, I always mm-hmm. thought that it, it moves very fast, um, in the, the, there are certain scenes in that film that are just kind of etched in my brain. And, uh, a couple of years ago, actually right before the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, uh, I was fortunate to get to see it performed with the Cleveland orchestra, um, you know, doing the, Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, uh, you know, and, and every now and then they've been doing this, like they just did, uh, Lord of the Rings with the, yep. uh, with the live score, which unfortunately I, I was not really, it just wasn't on my radar until of course I saw everybody posting about it, but, no, uh, no. <laughs> you're right. um, but, uh, but no, like, but seriously, one of, uh, it, it's just, uh, such a, an entertaining film and um I, yeah i i think it's uh i don't know it's just one of those ones i i rewatch at least once a year it seems i just watched it for the first time in the last maybe like four or five years and because it just felt like one of those homework assignments like i'd never seen i was like oh that um, okay this yeah you know, the, the biopic <laughs> yeah. whatever but i was like holy crap like i laughed a ton like it it moves at a clip yeah and i was like i was not expecting like it's just it's fun Yes. And I, it just had this like veneer of like a Barry Lyndon, which I, you know, it's, I'm not dissing Kubrick, but just it just sure. had this veneer of like Oscar bait, super dramatic, you know, like um, or maybe more like Immortal Beloved with Gary Oldman or something. Right. Like, it just right. had that kind of feel. But I was like, I was so surprised how much I was laughing and just like, this is just a fun movie to watch. Yes. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> and we are uh, we're syncing up today with our uh, our honorable mentions because mine also is uh, music based for my other honorable mention. Sure. Um, when I, a uh, previous job to being a librarian, I, I managed the local art house theater here, Cedar Lee Theater, for a, a good number of years. And one of the movies that came out um, pretty early on when I started working there as a manager was La Vie en Rose. Oh, yes. Oliver, Olivier Dahan, a uh, French filmmaker. Uh, this is Marianne Cotillard, like her breakout performance. Like she'd been obviously acting long before this movie, but like. Everybody, you know, in America knew who she was and uh, won the Oscar as well, I believe, uh, for this particular role. Um, I had no interest in seeing it. Kind of similar to Amadeus, right? Sure. Uh, and I was like, okay, fine. I'm sure it's good, whatever. And, but people just kept coming out of the theater just like swooning. Like, just like, oh, my God, that movie's so good. And we had um, this one of the regular, uh, Janet, she was in like every week to watch this movie. I was like, oh, watching, I'm watching the Vian Rose again. I'm not kidding. Probably like five or six times. Wow. And it was a hit and it played for a long time as well. And I was like, it wore me down. I was like, right, fine, I'll go watch it. And I was like, I don't know anything about Edith Piaf uh, other than she was a French singer. Um, you know, so I couldn't have named a, a song she sang before this. So it was one of those really great ones. Cause I went in blank uh, <laughs> to this like biopic and I was like, holy shit. And it worked. It's magic. It's, it's it's a total audience pleaser, not in the way that like it gives you exactly what you want from it, but just like yeah. carries you through the story so beautifully and leaves you so 
I don't know, like narratively satisfied by the time you, I mean, it's tragic, but like, um, yeah, you just leave on such like a, wow, like that was an experience, um, kind of a movie to it. And that I, I remember that the cinematography was very beautiful in that film as well. Oh yeah. It's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, I can't remember how Amadeus is told now that I'm thinking about it, but this one is done like in a nonlinear kind of mm, way. So it kind of yeah. pops around to keep, I think it, it, it moves around. Uh, La Vie en Rose is more like edited based off of the emotion that it's creating within the audience. Uh, yeah. The way it hops around through different times. And I was like, holy crap, like this is okay. Yeah. This worked its magic on me again. Also being um, a French production to uh, go on and make almost a hundred million dollars uh, worldwide at the box office was like, Holy crap. Like that's yeah, unheard of um, these days. unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for that particular like genre um, of, of, of film as well. So I have a 0. 0.5, I would I'm oh, sure. say, um, well, uh, so kind of, you know, keeping with the theme of music. So this is obviously not based on a real person, but uh, I think walk hard. The Dewey Cox story is one of those films. If you watch it, really pokes fun at the the modern music biopic so think of like like ray um Mm -hmm. which was about ray charles and and uh it's one of those movies that i loved it uh back then i recently rewatched it um and i it it still makes me laugh and the music is actually really good um all performed by john c Riley and and company (laughs) and um i was uh you know when that movie was coming out, they did a a a small uh, promotional concert tour, and I was fortunate oh, to get to right. see. I was fortunate to get to see um, John C. Riley as Dewey Cox at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and uh, it nice. was it was such a it was such a great um, <laughs> night, <laughs> and uh, almost got to meet him, but he definitely was in character. I don't know if he's like a method actor or whatever, but uh, the whole time, like he was kind of in character, but I did get to meet the director, Jake Kasdan, uh, who was watching from the, the back and got <laughs> him to sign a poster. Nice. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I would say like, you know, if you're, if you're one of those people who maybe you, you see that a new biopic's coming out and you're like, Oh, you, you maybe I roll your eyes. Sure. Sure. This is one of those things that kind of pokes fun at those and you can have a good time with it. Okay. I actually, I haven't seen that one. And my, I, I do adore John C. Riley, both dramatically and comedically. So I probably should watch it in my head. <laughs> for some reason, it was like his version of airplane after walk the lion had come out. And I was like, do I need like a airplane, scary movie riff? On, <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, it's good to hear oh, that it's like, it's so much better than that. Yeah. This one, it, it it's funny, but it, it really kind of, it plays it. I think the reason why it's so funny is that it does some kind of play it like, like serious. It takes it seriously. And like, right. you know, you have the mythology of Dewey Cox and everything, but it's just, uh, it, the music is what really for me. And I, you know, I have the soundtrack. I listen to it sometimes still. Nice. It's just such a, uh, it was so clever. And, um, I, I, I remember at the time it wasn't so much of like a big hit or anything, but I was just like, I was telling people all the time that like, you got to see this and they're just like, that just looks stupid, but it, it's, <laughs> I think it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> all right. All right. I will have to throw that uh, in the queue 
Um, <laughs> well, so so what's your what's your actual pick uh, for this watch challenge, Mike? What are we? What are we? Yes. So um, this was, and, and I, a lot of times we try to do something that we've never watched before. But this was something I had watched uh, several years back, and I rewatched it for this episode. Mm-hmm. And it is um, 1989's Wired. Uh, which is uh, directed by Larry Pierce, and it is about the life of John Belushi. 1982, John Belushi, the fabulous comedy star of TV's Saturday Night Live, Animal House, and The Blues Brothers, is dead at the age of 33. 1984, his story becomes a book by Bob Woodward, the prize-winning author of All the President's Men. You know, this could be one of those stories we've always talked about, that whole Hollywood drug scene out there. 1989, the man and the book become the motion picture that Hollywood never wanted to be made. The Life. Cut the demons loose, John. Let them loose. Boom! My God, I just punched the star of my movie. The Laughter. You scratch my Heidi, I'll scratch your Heidi, your Heidi. The loves. Please, 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 uh, I'll even marry you. The incredible times. I use drugs to keep myself alert to the comic possibilities and everything around me. The truth. Belushi told people that drugs were built into his contract. Accidental. What is this, a Saturday Night Live routine? Uh, With I'm a, a huge fan. Like Blues Brothers, Animal House, you know, played a lot of times in my in my house growing <laughs> up. Um, and so when I had found out about this movie, I was pretty excited. Um, I think uh, I actually had um, I had recently or, or at the time, like I had found like a VCR and I was just trying to rent as much as or find whatever I could at like the local library. Yeah. And Wired happened to be one of the VHS tapes that they had. Um, and there's probably a reason that it's only been released on VHS. Um, but uh, so it, it looks at John Belushi's life and it is uh, probably one of the worst uh, biopics, I, I think, on record uh, just or worst reviewed uh, biopics. But basically what it does, it starts off with John Belushi overdosing and um his basically his body arises from a body bag and it's almost told in a, this is your life style. This is, you know, so it's, it's almost like, and this is giving it too much credit, but like, you know, almost like um, a Christmas Carol where, you know, he has these different people who show him the different phases of his life. Oh yeah. And show like how he's got, you know, to this point, being dead and uh you know in, in basically the i think the message overall is like you know drugs kill you <laughs> um <laughs> and i just it, it jumps around a lot um and uh but i i will give at least you know and it's one of those movies it's one of the rare movies that on my letterbox that i've given up a, a one star um, or, Ooh. or a half star, you know, yeah. I, I, it was either a half or one star, but I will at least give credit to Michael Chiklis who, uh, who plays, he, he plays John Belushi and he really gives it his all, but it's the script and the, I just think the conception of the film that really kind of fails, you know, around yeah. his, his pretty, pretty good 
performance. You know, he really gives it his all, but um, it is based on a book uh, by Bob Woodward, who, of course, you know, with a journalist. Yes, yes, the famous journalist. Okay. All I know um, is the title of this movie, and it was about Belushi. This is all like new information to me. I've yes, never looked so this one up. The book came out. So the, um, the commish, the shield yeah. guy, is yeah. John Belushi based on a book written by Bob Woodward, Bob Woodward. the Watergate guy. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, so Bob Woodward uh, wrote the book two years after his death, and it it interviewed a lot of the uh, the famous people that that knew him, and it was a pretty well received book but the movie not you know super not well received and i i just think there are there are times that it's it's just really poorly done and <laughs> i i don't know if there are any i'm sure it, i i've read that there was at one point they were talking to emil hirsch from the into the wild movie mm-hmm. about playing john belushi in a new biopic which okay. um you know that gives me good good promise that that maybe a definitive John Belushi biopic would be made. Yeah, uh, but uh, this movie just kind of it. I don't know. I think just the fact that it's it, it almost exploits the death a little bit. The mm-hmm. way how it's like it starts. I mean, starts off with him basically on a gurney. Um, I don't know. It just it leaves a really bad taste, and um, I, it's almost like disrespectful in, in certain ways. Um, I mean, I guess the filmmakers were trying to take a different approach and and everything, but uh, this one was was definitely a miss for me. And on a second watch, it's yeah, it just it did not improve <laughs> improve itself. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, like like I said, I think you know, for somebody who's really into um who john belushi was i mean sure. i was very excited to see this movie but you know just a few years ago on uh i believe uh it was released maybe in some theaters but it's on showtime but there was a a a, a documentary made about belushi that mm-hmm. is far superior um <laughs> to to this yeah it says a four percent on rotten tomatoes for wired which sounds about accurate from what you're saying and one of the it says the site's critical consensus states a tasteless, unintentional parody of the life it attempts to dramatize. Yeah. Ouch. I, I highly agree with the, those statements. <laughs> but is it like, see, would you recommend it as like, it's a, as a curiosity kind of watch just to like, yeah, I, I would say it is a curiosity. Um, there is, um, you know, like on the, I think on the back of the VHS, uh, when I rented it, it said like the movie that Hollywood doesn't want you to see. So, you know, like they were obviously, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure like his family probably was not approving of the movie. And sure. Of course, all of the, the many comedians that he was friends with, I'm sure were not in support of it. So, and um, I've, I've watched an interview where Michael Chiklis said for at least a couple years, you know, he was, he was like, not approachable for for roles because of because of oh, being wow. in this. So he yeah. eventually got the commish, but uh, it was a help from uh, actually from Jack Nicholson. I guess got him a couple um, auditions uh, because he had a mutual friend. Uh, is what what he basically said. Uh, but yeah, for a couple years there, he was he was not getting called at all. Ouch. And it's not really his. I I don't think it's his. No, fault. that's yeah. It's just like one of those byproducts. Like um, yeah, collateral damage. Yeah. Well, obviously he, you know, his career did rebound. So. Sure. 
Oh yeah. But still that, that, Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, a miss. Yeah. What did you end up picking? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I, maybe as we talk this through, we'll find another like overlapping thematic idea here, but, um, I went with another film that actually played when I was working at the art house theater called the end of the tour from 2015. It's directed by James uh, Ponsolt, who kind of hit, hit the art house uh, scene pretty decently was smashed in 2012. And then he did the spectacular now with a, a young miles teller yeah. um, in 2013. I was um, really, my interest was peaked by the end of the tour because if you watch, oh, sorry. So it's, um, it's a dramatic film, but it's a, it's about the writer David Foster Wallace, who tragically committed suicide. Um, uh, was battling depression and, and personal demons. Uh, it sounded like throughout um, his adult life, but it's it's almost like a dual biography because it's based on David Lipsky's best-selling memoir yeah. about this time he spent. Um, I think it was like five or six days on a going accompanying David Foster Wallace on a book tour, and you see like a friendship develop. Um, as as they're doing this, and there's the 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 pratfalls and the ups and downs of like we do connect as writers and just as people, and I think they really connect over music. That they they both have a, I mean, they're both kind of Gen Xers. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the right one. So they they connect over music too, and there's a pretty it's a pretty good soundtrack for this movie. It's 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 um yeah, it's set in 2008, so it's about um not necessarily music of that time period, but like the the formative music of of both of their uh, their lives because they're about the same age or so. Yeah. So it it follows them on this tour and if you watch the trailer for it when i think of this trip i see david and me in the front seat of his car he wants something better than he has i want precisely what he has already david wallace welcome to minneapolis uh, hi i'm, I'm david Lucy. oh how are you hi okay david and david we only just met he's writing a piece on the tour what's this story about in your mind just what it's like to be the most talked about writer in the country that sort of thing you're like a nervous guy huh <laughs> no 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 i'm okay how are you because i'm terrified i gotta ask what is with the bandana i know that it's a security blanket for me whenever i'm kind of afraid my head is going to explode <laughs> if we ate like this all the time what would be wrong with that it's like good seductive commercial entertainment like uh like die hard uh, first die hard first die hard great yes. no it's a brilliant the film. best Hey, isn't it reassuring to have a lot of people read you? I think if the book is about anything, yeah. it's about the question of why. Why am I doing it? And what's so American about what I'm doing? If um, they're responding to your work and your work is really personal, then reading you is another way of meeting you, isn't that right? That's so good. Thank you. I don't know why you mean to me. I think that if there's a sort of sadness for people under 45, it has something to do with pleasure and achievement and entertainment. Like a sort of emptiness at the heart of what they thought was going on. I, don't know. I got a real serious fear of being a certain way. I treasure my regular guyness. You don't crack open a thousand page book because you heard the author is a regular guy. You do it because he's brilliant. It, it gave me strong like Richard Linklater meets my dinner with Andre vibes. Like it's all about the conversation and the ideas and how humans can um, communicate together, but then also how you bond over certain things. But then there's also the other element of like, I'm actually here interviewing you because it's my job. I think he was writing for um, Rolling Stone at the time. Rolling, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yep. So it's like, we are connecting as, as humans and as artists, as writers, but also like I am here for my job. So like what's on the record, what's not on the record. And not to say that that's like overly inflated to be dramatic that way. That's just sort of there. In, in the background 
and then what I thought was fascinating was they got uh, James Ponsold had um, Donald uh, Margulies, I think I'm pronouncing his last name right, to do the the screenplay, and he's a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, and I think he's also um, a professor, a teacher. So he's not known for like writing screenplays. So you got someone who comes from the playwriting world, which it's mostly it's much more focused on character dynamics and dialogue. Yeah, and this film, and I mean this as a compliment, feels like a great play. Yes, it doesn't have like the single location vibe, but like every time they're in a scene, like they're in the car, they're in a bookshop, they're at um, David Foster Wallace's house, uh, they're out on the tour itself. There's an interesting kind of dialogue dynamic and little arcs that go through each scene that you're like, oh my gosh, and like you just you're in marvel at like it's how people do talk when they are educated, interesting artists and writers. So like you know, their conversation is going to be different than all the ums and uhs that maybe like we would have together, Mike, because we're talking sure, to a movie or sure. whatever. So it is a, it's not super heightened like play dialogue, but it, it, it's it's heightened just enough where you're like, I just want to listen to this conversation. Like it's mm-hmm. it's so engaging that way. Um, and then, oh, sorry, you also have Jason Segel playing David Foster Wallace and Jesse Eisenberg playing uh, David Lipsky. And it's a really fascinating dynamic because I, I find it very rare when you have Jesse Eisenberg professional you know kind of asshole actor yeah, right <laughs> i mean for the characters that he portrays like he's he's it's iconic in the social network is like yeah you're perfect for mark zuckerberg because you can play <laughs> so well yeah but in this one he's like he's in awe of david foster wallace because he, re- he reads infinite jest sorry it's also about the tour for infinite jest david foster wallace is arguably his masterpiece no i've still not finished it the fucking thing is like 1100 pages I've, right <laughs> i'm still stuck at about the two-thirds mark and i keep having to go back 100 pages to get back into it but He's like skeptical because David Lipsky's also an author um, at this point. He hasn't sold, obviously, the memoir because he hasn't written it yet, but he's wrote a book. It didn't come. It came out. Didn't do so good. Then uh, Infinite Jest comes out and he's like, God damn it. This is getting all the this is the writer's life I wanted. So there's a little bit of jealousy involved. And then he reads it and he's like, God damn, it is that good. I really want to hear it. <laughs> and so it's interesting, the dynamic you have Jesse Eisenberg, like looking up to someone. Yeah, which is different than him usually like, being like, you know, the Lex Luthor, like the, the smartest guy in the room and full of, you know evil plans and like his will will be done. Whereas this one, he's like kind of in awe of this other guy and it works. He's great. He's really, really good at this. And their dynamic is just like top notch. No, I, I agree. Like uh, that, that movie uh, when, when it came out the year once, maybe there's a theme, but like that was one of my favorite movies of that year. Um, I thought I found it to be actually kind of pretty moving as well. um, Especially towards the end. And like Jason Siegel is one of those, I think very underrated, uh, actor uh where like you know he's kind of known for those comedies but uh, when he yeah. has a dramatic role he's actually he's actually really quite good and i you know sometimes like the the last couple of years like we don't see him as much in things like or he's very selective it seems with his roles but uh he's a damn fine actor so our official watch challenge recommendations for biopics not documentaries are wired uh the wildly i don't know failure of a john belushi <laughs> biopic that uh if you can find on vhs you can watch it or maybe somebody's got that you know bootleg somewhere uh <laughs> also the 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 end of the tour uh the kind of co uh biopic so those are the uh official suggestions there uh many thanks to amir for that particular topic mike what challenge do we have in front of us for next time so up next, we're going to do Attempted Movie Stars, and this is submitted by Ken, and this basically is movies that were intended to make um, 
stars out of uh, somebody who is probably well-known in pop culture, but uh, they ultimately did not succeed. <laughs> uh, we're all, we're always taking listener suggestions. So send any genres or topics you'd like covered to watch challenge podcast at gmail.com or follow the links in the show notes to show notes to hit us up on social media. And until next time, folks, happy viewing. And uh, we'll talk soon, Mike. Have a good one. Thank you.